Digital Gonzo, episode 69, dated Sunday the 15th of April 2012. Iron Man 2. Could we pick up now where we left off? Mr. Stark, please. Yes, dear. Could I have your attention? Absolutely. Our priority here is to have you turn over the Iron Man weapon to the American people. Well, you can forget it. We're safe. America is secure. You want my property? You can't have it. But I did you a big favor. I have successfully privatized world peace. We're adjourned for the day. You've been a delight. Okay, give me a smooch for good luck. I might not make it back. Go get him, boss. You complete me. This is the third of five reviews in the canonical movies of the Marvel Universe. We have already reviewed Iron Man 1 and The Incredible Hulk, and the next week or so we'll be covering Thor and Captain America the First Avenger in the run-up to Avengers Assemble. Damn, I said it! Back with me to discuss what might be the most maligned and arguably most underrated of the five, I have Josh Garrity of Kane and Wince, Neil Teller of Gameburst, and KDS 2.0, and Jerome McIntosh and Paul Gibson of Gonzo Planet. Hello, lads. Hello. Hello there. So, relating Iron Man 1 to Iron Man 2, a lot of people really ripped into this second one. And I kind of don't know why, because I came out of the cinema going, that was good. Not as good as Iron Man 1, but that was good. And I still feel that. Yeah, it, no, I, I completely agree with you. Um, uh, at the time, people were comparing it to the likes of... Um, X-Men 3 and Spider-Man 3 and oh quite God, frankly no, no, what? The, claim, the claim is quite frankly ridiculous because Iron Man 2 while I, I agree I don't think it's as good as uh, Iron no. Man 1 it has it's, it's a really good film that has some scenes that are equally as good as the first one uh, yeah. there are some weaker points but I, I actually think one of the things this film does better is I think it's a better action movie than the first one. I honestly don't understand all the hate. The first time I saw it, I came out the cinema a bit disappointed with it. Hmm. But watching it again at the weekend, I actually think it may be a stronger film than the first one. Whoa! Your aside from the origin. Aside, aside from the fact that obviously no origin, which you don't need because it's a sequel... Mm. and the fact that towards the end it kind of devolves into 
the same story as the first one. The... Well, to be fair, there is an origin in this story. It is the origin of War Machine. True. And there's an, the origin of Whiplash. Yeah. <laughs> We've been dying for it for, for decades. Well, yeah. Um, but I think the action sequences are stronger. Certainly the Monaco section. The, the mm. non-F1 car Monaco, but yeah. Yes, the classic. <laughs> kind of cars, wasn't it? <laughs> it's not anywhere near as much of the severe drop-off that everyone seems to keep implying. It's still reviewed well. I think it got like a 75% on Rotten Tomatoes. It's not bad at all. Yeah, I mean, we're also we're we're excusing it a bit too much. There are some weak points. We'll talk about them in a bit. But um, no, it starts off with the Vancos, doesn't it? This is where Ivan is at his, his strongest because he's an emotionally driven antagonist. His his father is dying, penniless and unknown in in uh, Russia, and he, in his mind, quite justifiably blames the Starks for this situation. And if he had been like that the whole way through, and if at the very end it had been about you know first they made you bleed, now I will crush you and it had been like this sort of life vendetta and him actually just being this guy who is relatable but just hates Tony for this and then that would be fine but he gets a bit too smug by the end and he gets a bit kind of too you know what, what problem and I think ultimately maybe even just getting him in the whiplash armour at the end is kind of the cop out wouldn't it have just have been easier if he would just been a guy yeah I think I think I like the idea of him simply being um, a genius like Tony Stark and not actually being the uh, you know physical like the physical like uh, presence the intimidating presence that he is in the film where he tries to actually attack Tony head on. I I I think I like the idea of him constructing those drones. I thought that was a good yeah. idea. Um, because the ultimately that scene uh, where with with the F1 cars, um, we, he was trying to show uh, to Tony Stark that and the world who was watching that he isn't this untouchable guy that I I can make this technology. So maybe if he was just attacked by a bunch of drones using that uh, you know fusion reactor, uh, maybe he would have more effectively gotten his point across. But I yeah. don't know. The most powerful scene between them is when they're, they're in the cell together. Speaking of thieves, where did you get this design? My father. Anton Anko. Well, I never heard of him. My father is the reason you're alive. The reason I'm alive is because you had a shot, you took it, you missed. Did I? If you could make God bleed, People will cease to believe in him. They will be blown in the water. And the sharks will come. All I have to do is sit here and watch as the world will consume you. <laughs> It's trying to, no matter what people say, it's trying to harness the same energy as the Dark Knight in the idea of no matter how tough you are, if there's someone out there who is equally tough and equally determined to fuck you, then you are in trouble. And this sense that Ivan really means to, to, to be out to actually ruin Tony is put across very well here. And this fact that he doesn't seem the least bit perturbed to be in this cell 
it, it's very powerful and I kind of wish they'd maintained that throughout the film because he drops off from being uh, similar to the Joker and becomes more of a kind of a uh, an evil genius sending out his robot monkeys you know it's not helped by the fact that he's kind of sidelined by another villain character in this film mm-hmm. who I, to be fair um, I have a habit of blanking on actors Sam Rockwell Sam Rockwell are yes. you speaking um, of Justin Hammer Justin yeah. Hammer uh, yeah. I think Sam Rockwell is a very good actor in fact yeah. I think he's an underrated actor um, but I don't know how necessary he is for this movie he's an odd choice because he's he, they, they they sort of try to play him as a a sort of a light a, a, a Obadiah light almost yeah but he just comes off as incompetent yeah how the hell is this guy in charge of this multi-million dollar business and everything he touches just goes wrong yeah he's basically Tony Stark without a lot of the things that make you like Tony Stark he's not yeah. the creative genius he's not as charismatic but he thinks he is yeah. and he's willing to cut every single corner to get money instead of t- Tony would want to make the most the best thing he can and he doesn't care how much it costs Justin Hammond wants to make the cheapest thing he can and sell the most of it yeah I took him as kind of a, a counterpoint to Tony he's somebody who's obviously been in the same business for the same sort of amount of time and he's in a lot of ways trying to ape Tony Stark but without the talent or quite the level of charisma that Tony's got hmm. and obviously that sent him down a, a path slightly different you know very different to Tony's but you know just sent him off slightly differently and it's kind of what Tony could have been without the natural talent yeah it's perfectly exemplified in the uh, bit where Tony plays a bit of Justin Hammer's um, attempts at making an Iron Man suit and that pilot twists himself in two and screams I'd just like to know that you're supposed to know that that test pilot lives uh, it's the notion that Tony tested his suit on himself. Justin allowed a decent test pilot to break himself testing this dodgy, dangerous piece of shit that he has come up with in, in, in aping stock. Um, I mean, the thing you've got to remember, even though Obadiah was essentially a terrible person, he kept this, he brought the Stark Industries to what it was, and mm. Tony was oblivious to this. Whereas Justin Hammer has probably had to do a lot of the things Obadiah has done over the years, and that's why he's such a crooked person. Mm. There's a lot of supposition on our part, but ultimately mm. he does come off as as, uh, as this weird, slightly sleazy. It's it's difficult to get a, pl- a bead on him, and mm. then there's no real payoff to it either. He just gets, you know, I, I would have gotten away with it too if it weren't for you snooping black widows. <laughs> I want one. I want one. Um, she is a very dangerous sexual harassment lawsuit waiting to happen. <laughs> but I want one. I I have to say, I really like Scarlett Johansson as an actress. Um, mm. Anyone who's seen Lost in Translation knows that she can act her ass off when she yep. wants to. Um, and But my... I, as much as I, I like her in this movie, and I think the action se- sequence with her towards mm. the end is possi- arguably the best action sequence in the movie. Uh, yes, um, no, it is. It is. Um, but empirically, in terms of necessary, a character being necessary to the plot, mm. she's unnecessary to the plot. She's mm. just yeah. there to say, 
Avengers. Yeah. Avengers is coming. That's why she's taking centre stage in this week's artwork. Because I'd rather look at her than look at Tony Stark again. <laughs> because I want one. Yeah, because I want one. Uh, and, and I've showcased a different Avenger in each one of these five, and this is the one where she turns up. Um, Thor obviously gets two Avengers at the same time, but... Uh, Yep, no, no room for Hawkeye. No. Might do an alternate cover. Wait. Invariant chromium. <laughs> Sorry, just to... Who else does Thor have? Thor. Oh, Thor and... Shut Thor. Up. <laughs> <laughs> Dude. I thought you and meant two others beside him. No, no, what I mean is that... Uh, oh, actually, technically, if you want to split hairs, um, Sammy Jackson is also an Avenger, so technically Iron Man gets two Avengers as well. What are we talking about? Yeah, Black Widow is effectively superfluous to this. It is, it is a way of introducing her as the femme fatale kind of um, character, and, and she has no real arc to her. Natasha Romanoff, as a character has a long arc in whatever she's in. Avengers uh, Earth's Mightiest Heroes TV series, she has got a lot to do. And in, since she's playing the role of a double-agent, triple-agent, possible traitor, you don't ever really understand her character until her final act is known. And in Iron Man 2, you don't even know what the hell she's doing, really. You just know that she's been sent in by S.H.I.E.L.D. and then she, uh, she foils Justin Hammer's plot. And that's roughly what she does. But that doesn't tell you anything about her as a character. Yeah, yeah they don't really do much with about her. I think she's sort of just sent by S.H.I.E.L.D. to evaluate Stark, isn't she? Because that's yeah. why he gets the report at the end. It would be interesting if uh, she turns out to be a, a, a villain or a betrayer in the Avengers because she's been built up as this you know, sort of super sexy character and you almost underestimate her because she's just used as window dressing here. You must fear Hawkeye. You will fight Iron Man again for me. And when you have destroyed him, I shall ask nothing more. Then, then I must. Yes. My words will guide you. Only you will be able to hear them on this bone conduction radio device. Suddenly, Hawkeye is hearing something else. No! Let me go! I am on the verge of success! And we have our orders. No! Hawkeye, help me! She's in trouble. I'm coming! Like a man possessed. Outside, Hawkeye shoots a suction-tipped arrow, hooking onto a low-flying plane. Darling, I'm coming! And when the plane turns out to sea, he drops toward her ship, unaware that the one he sought had been so near. What can the future possibly hold for the tormented Hawkeye and the mysterious Black Widow? I want one. No. So the beginning, you're not even at the beginning yet, the bit where Tony jumps out of the plane, have you guys seen the alternate uh, cut of that with... Uh, where he's yes. um, in the loop. 
Yeah, he starts off throwing up into the uh, airplane toilet, and he gets mm. up, and it's like, oh my god, he really can't handle this. Yeah. And then he has a quick chat with Pepper about, oh, I don't, you know, I don't want to do this. And um, she gives him his. No, she throws his helmet out of the uh, plane, and he, he he jumps after it. That's in the trailer. Yeah. So the, I watched the film. It was like he just sort of get just Iron Man jumps out of the plane. You're like, oh. Okay. A lot of people were confused about that when they first saw the starting of the movie. Yeah. Did I miss something? It's, it's a weird choice as well because that that moment between Pepper and uh, uh, Tony is a really nice character moment, yeah. and I would have appreciated that like little update on their relationship. Um, at, yeah, the but beginning I, of the film. I, I, I should imagine somebody in the background went. You can't have our hero throwing up at the start of the movie. It's unhero-like. Yes, you can. He's Tony Stark. He's not the superhero type, clearly. No, but the whole point is that it's a cinematic magic trick. You start with Tony Stark in the plane, talking to Pepper. Then she throws the helmet out the window. He jumps down in midair, puts the helmet on, and then flies down, hits the stage, gets up. The armor comes off. He's Tony Stark. That's the join. That's the whole, he goes from plane to the ground. That's what makes it fantastic. You take the beginning bit away, a CGI Iron Man jumps out of a CGI plane, falls through a CGI sky without ever once taking his helmet off, and then lands, and then real Iron Man gets up and it's Robert Downey Jr. That's not a magic trick. They completely dispense with what could have been a really great beginning. As it is, it's good. But that, that would have been great, and I kind of wish they'd recut it. features one of the, the few actual ACDC songs in the movie. Yes, there's two. Uh, yeah, let's talk about the soundtrack now. I bought the soundtrack uh, weeks before the film came out, and it has got like 14 fantastic ACDC tracks in it. I was like, oh my god, they've done a Highlander. This entire film is scored by ACDC. Yeah. It's going to be the greatest <laughs> film ever made. And wrong. Wrong. It's got two. And that is bloody false advertising. i got to say... I'm appalled at that. I don't know. Even, I don't get it because the ears literally. T- what's the other ACD song that's actually in it's, this one? It's uh, Highway to Hell at the very end and Shoot to Thought at the very beginning. They also have on the album uh, Back in Black, which is in the first, first one. But they don't use War Machine. War, War Machine? From the. I think Black Ice. Black Ice album, yeah. It's called War Machine! <laughs> It would actually work very well with the character. It would have been a good. It would have been good to use it in that the moment towards the end of the film. But the soundtrack is, it's the greatest hits of ACDC. Yeah, and which is interesting. Odd. They've never made a greatest hits, and nope. it's really good to actually own it. But to own it and have it called Iron Man 2: The Soundtrack and the actual songs in Iron Man 2, the ones that actually like Should I Stay or Should I Go, and a really not particularly fantastic remix of Another One Bites the Dust, are disappointing as hell and not on the soundtrack. 
mm, it's probably a good thing for the Unicorn Bites of Dust. There is a neat uh, bit of Daft Punk in there, which is actually kind of cool. But uh, the only other... It's weird, because this is the second ACDC album that's the soundtrack. What's the other one? Who Made Who. Who Made Who is the soundtrack to Maximum Overdrive, which oh. is uh, a movie where the music is all ACDC because it's one of Stephen King's favourite bands. Okay, I'm going to see Maximum Overdrive now. Uh, you but, don't uh, want to. <laughs> But you see what I mean? It's rare that an entire movie is scored or indeed just like punctuated in the soundtrack by a single band. Like I said, Highlander, one of my favourite films of all time, it's goofy as all hell, but I love the Queen soundtrack. There's and so when I two that spring to mind. One is Highlander and the other is... Um... Flash. Oh, well, actually, I was going to say Tron. Uh, oh, yes, with Darth Punk again, yeah. Um, which is actually, yeah, that, that's, a de- that's a better soundtrack than the film. Um, but no, when I listen to the soundtrack, if you listen to Thunderstruck, I was picturing Whiplash walking towards uh, Tony in, after his car's been trashed. It's like, oh yeah, there's going to be a massive fight. And in the film, it's good, but you don't get ACDC when you probably need it. them i don't get why this multimedia project it's just a swiz yeah it's a really odd choice because these i, I don't get it I, I i'm a fan of acdc don't get me wrong i'm a huge acdc fan and even i'm like what they're not it's not a soundtrack yeah 
Okay, let, let's leave this one behind. But either way, the actual Iron Man 2 soundtrack, not as fantastic. The fight with him and Rhodey could probably have been a bit more bitter um, because ultimately when it comes down to it, Rhodey, you know, is coming from a point of view of, look, I have watched you fumble around and fuck up your life over and over again and you, you're doing it again. You're going to stop and I'm taking this goddamn suit. That was something but, I noticed watching it again this time. Is it that he takes it or is it that Stark gives him the suit Yeah. in the only way that he actually can without saying, okay, I'm giving in have the suit yeah because yeah. I think they even mentioned that there are fail safes which Tony could activate to make that suit inactive but he doesn't yep. so, so. It, part of it's kind of like okay go away you do that but I can't just be seen to let you do it yeah Oof. but there is that sort of sense of real personal bitterness between the, the, the two of them which is resolved at the end but it does feel like something's a little bit broken between the two at this point I like yeah. did like um, speaking of Rhodey um, just the way he's introduced in this one. Mm, look, Watch I'm here. Course, it. just, yes, <laughs> it's it's a nice little fourth wall breaking moment. Mm. Yeah, but it's neatly done. That whole court scene is fantastic. Yeah. I love how I love how they've made it a very realistic situation. I mean, mm. you could imagine seeing that on TV. You're flying around in your own personalized mechanized suit and. We're quite concerned that you haven't handed over anything towards the military who you're contracted to supply with weapons. That suit is me. It is a work of a handy prosthesis. <laughs> if you're telling me to hand it over, that is tantamount to indentured servitude or prostitution, depending on which state you come from. I'm not sure I like Gary Shandling as the senator, but... Like, he's so funny I don't usually like Gary Shandling either he's got these wet lips he doesn't mm. kind of want to go really 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 on them <laughs> but that, he, he plays a smarmy politician very well he the whole thing is rounded off perfectly when he goes fuck you Tony fuck you buddy <laughs> and it's like you just realise that he's been dying to say this and he really shouldn't it's career suicide but he just has to because Tony's made a fool of him repeatedly it's just funny because that just that works in the sense that it just shows you how good Tony Stark is is getting it under people's skins yeah and just driving them nuts and the whole thing they adjourn, adjourn the court because they can't keep order anymore and because Tony's made a mockery of proceedings he hasn't really won they just they can't get a bead on him he has proved ultimately but by t- taking over their systems that nobody else is anywhere near as good as, uh, as Stark Industries in terms of, of getting that the Iron Man weapon systems working <laughs> except for one Russian in a falling apart apartment yeah there is that of course there's, which kind of you know dro- makes his whole thing um, fall to pieces anyone seen Robocop 2 by the way apart from Neil I know you have 
not for a long, no. long time. Seeing all these sort of proto wannabe Iron Men from around the world in these sort of like awful air show gone wrong videos reminds me of the bits where they keep wheeling out the various. Oh yeah, yeah. Know, these are our next Robocops, and the results are always disastrous. We'll talk about that on the Robocop Two show. So yeah, and then the the relationship between Tony and, and Pepper is reaching breaking point at this stage. And it, again, it feels very organic, like that she's had to look after him through all of this shit, and then the whole the romance subplot kind of breaking out there and. Not quite knowing where it's going, and uh, she seems like a woman at the end of her tether. It's said it out that way. Again, John Favreau uh, directed this one. It's almost, it seems like a slightly darker, like differently photographed type of film. There's, there's, there's subtle differences between the two, um, and it doesn't feel quite as fresh or quite as fun or sparky as the original Iron Man. But ultimately, that does go hand in hand with the fact that Tony's become something of a wreck. For me, the emotional core of this comes with, uh, with Tony's relationship with uh, Howard, the, um, the, the father-son, you know, this is my legacy to you thing, and um, the, the, the watching him in the old videos and, and the, what that actually does to Tony and how the idea of um, Howard being as brilliant as Tony but hampered by the technology of his time, so sending that technology forwards into the future in, in, in a secret code, effectively, that only his son can work out. It's... You know, a, a, a wonderful moment. If Tony is Howard Hughes, then Howard Stark, who, by the way, shares the same name, I think it was given that in, in, ref, in the comics in reference to Hughes, um, is kind of like Walt Disney. If you've ever actually watched Walt Disney uh, yes. showing Epcot, his vision of the future. Epcot will take its cue from the new ideas and new technologies that are now emerging from the creative centers of American industry. It will be a community of tomorrow that will never be completed, but will always be introducing and testing and demonstrating new materials and new systems. And Epcot will always be a showcase to the world for the ingenuity and imagination of American free enterprise. I don't believe there's a challenge anywhere in the world that's more important to people everywhere than finding solutions to the problems of our cities. But where do we begin? How do we start answering this great challenge. While we're convinced, we must start with the public need. And the need is not just for curing the old ills of old cities. We think the need is for starting from scratch on virgin land and building a special kind of new community. So that's what Epcot is, an experimental prototype community that will always be in a state of becoming. It will never cease to be a living blueprint of the future, where people actually live a life they can't find anywhere else in the world. Everything in Epcot will be dedicated to the happiness of the people who will live, work, and play here, and those who come here from all around the world to visit our living showcase. We don't presume to know all the answers. In fact, we're counting on the cooperation of American industry to provide their very best thinking during the planning 
and the creation of our experimental prototype community of tomorrow. And most important of all, when Epcot has become a reality and we find the need for technologies that don't even exist today, it's our hope that Epcot will stimulate American industry to develop new solutions that will meet the needs of people expressed right here in this experimental community. Well, that's our basic philosophy for Epcot. By now, I'm sure you're wondering how people will actually live and work and move around in our community of tomorrow. So in the next few minutes, we'll go into detail about some of our preliminary sketches and layouts. Remember though, as I said earlier, this is just the beginning. And with that thought in mind, Let's have a look. So yeah, as I said earlier, it's a lot more talk than they really than than necessarily there needed to be um, when they could just have gone all that action. They had two films to try and emulate. They could either go the Transformers route or they could go the Dark Knight route. And I think they've gone more for the latter. And they they didn't go as hard or as far as they could have done. And this could really have been like a revolutionary new um, uh, look at, at Marvel characters in general. I mean, to me, Marvel. Um, to me, Iron Man 1 is the best Marvel film, and Iron Man 2 is pretty close. It's just weird with 2, you, get, it's sort of, you break it down into three parts. In that one, it's, there's heavy action because we get the introduction of Whiplash and you get the Monaco attack. It sort of takes a break in the middle where you have the conversation at the... Is it the Dunkin' Donuts with... Uh, yeah. Yeah. I think that was a decision. Was like we could like this. Here is how much it's going to cost us to recreate the shield helicarrier. Here is how much it will cost us to shoot this in a Dunkin' Donuts. Yeah. I just reckon that was in Sam Jackson's contract. I want to shoot a scene of Dunkin' Donuts. I want donuts on hand, and I want thirty-two flavors. But we will see the helicarrier soon. Yeah, no, yeah, of course. But yeah, it's just weird. It takes that break there to have that long exposition scene where we get, you know, he gets the files and has to work out the. Um, is it? It's a new element, isn't it? It's the new element. They never say it. It's vibranium. Mm. Yeah. It's <laughs> it's abundance underground in Wakanda, and it's what uh, Captain America's shield is made out of by Howard Stark. And um, it is vibranium. vibranium. I believe it is. Yes. Just the shields there when he's making it. Yes. Well, one it's, of them. That's not uh, one of them. Cap's shield. Cap's actual shield is buried in the ice with him. True. Uh, the that actually also happens to represent at the time in the forties all the vibranium in the world that Howard Stark had turned into a single shield. He broke it down on a molecular level and worked out what how you could synthesize vibranium. So effectively, uh, what Tony has done is to substitute his palladium core that was poisoning his blood for vibranium, which is a lot cleaner and will not poison him. And, and then he creates the triangle, which Joss Whedon himself has said is ass. Mm. And they've gone back to the circle, which... Thank yeah, you. I, 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 like, I like Joss's um, point on this. I also like the fact that Tony did kind of change his suit up a bit, because part of the, the nature of Iron Man is to be constantly evolving. And it just goes to show what a genius Tony Stark is. He creates a super collider in his basement. Yes. Actually, interestingly enough, he lives on Tracy Island. <laughs> yes. No, no, no. <laughs> Never noticed that before. Oh, yeah. Anthony, is that you? My least favorite hey, person on earth, Justin. How you doing? Henry. You're not the only rich oh. guy here with a fancy car. You know, Christine Everhart from Vanity Fair. You guys know each other? Hi. Yes. Yes. Yes, roughly. We do. BTW, big story. The new CEO of Stark Industries. I Congratulations. Know, I know. My editor will kill me if I don't grab a quote for a powerful woman in show. Oh, can I? Sure. Um, she's actually doing a big sprint on me for Vanity Fair. Oh, I thought I I'd throw her a bone, you know. 
Right. Right? Yes. Well, she did quite a spread on Tony last year. And she wrote a story as well. It was very <clears throat> impressive. That was good. Very well done. Tony is quite clearly uh, afflicted with Asperger's syndrome and uh, may even be vaguely autistic. He has an inability to be able to relate to regular people, uh, at least on anything other than his own level. Uh, possibly because of conditioning and that he's, he's grown up like that. But also, he could have been born into any family in the world and be and have these quirks to his personality. It's, 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 it's interesting. He's already afflicted with disadvantages, you know, despite being a hero. He's, he's got many weaknesses and many things which actually make him less easy to relate to, at the same time more easy to relate to, if that makes any sense. It also accounts for the fact that what, how he can behave so incredibly rudely to so many people. Yeah, they just, just you know, let him get away with it. John Favreau also puts himself in the movie uh, and gives Happy a little more to, uh, to do. And again, he's a really great on-screen presence. I'm going to miss him for the third one, because Shane Black's directing this time. He of Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. But I think he's, Favreau's actually still playing Happy Hogan, so I don't think he's out. That's cool. That is actually very cool. Don't tell that's gospel. Well, I'm sure I've read somewhere that he's still in playing Happy Hogan. The challenge will be to maintain that easy sense of uh, um, uh, organic flow to the conversations. Which anyone who's seen Kiss Kiss Bang Bang will tell you that Shane Black is very good at. Absolutely. That's what gives me hope as well. Shane Black, for those of you who listened to the Gonzo episodes before, was Hawkins in Predator, the one who kept telling the disgusting, smutty jokes. Oh. He also wrote Lethal Weapon and uh, has sort of been in and around Hollywood for a long time. And Kiss Kiss Bang Bang is semi-autobiographical. Oh, that is another thing. If you like this, Iron Man and Iron Man 2, if you like Robert Downey Jr., but have not yet seen Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, go and buy it. I am giving you a solid 100% guarantee that you will be happy with the results. It, it's one of the best movies ever made. Like, uh, honestly. Don't want to mince words, but... <laughs> <laughs> Pull no punches. It's, it's, a, it's a detective story. It's also a, 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 a satire on Hollywood that uh, Robert Altman, the player, could only dream of being. Oh, didn't I just see you at a party a couple hours ago? Why? Why what? Why me? Why? Seriously, why not the uh, the girl over there? Look, she's very pretty. Which one? Uh, on the left, next to Brazilian Billy Bob Thornton. Oh, that's a bit of a reach. Um, clearly, I'm interrupting. I feel badly. Let me. What are you drinking? Bad. Bad. Sorry, feel. You feel bad. Bad. Mm, badly is an adverb. So to say you feel badly would be saying that the mechanism which allows you to feel is broken. Well. That one? Over there? Um, which way? Oh, God, Nick's Nick's. That's the blonde. The blonde's pathetic. Because? Well, for starters, yeah. she's been fucked more times than she's had hot meals. You know, I heard about that. It was neck and neck, and then she skipped lunch. And don't so, forget yeah. the fact that he wrote The Last Action Hero put you off. He did write The Last Action Hero. <laughs> the Last Action Hero is a good movie. Um, ba -ba I'm Man 2, anybody? Man 2, we're going to finish this one? I think we lost the plot somewhat. <laughs> I think it is warm machine because we're sort of getting to the end where it actually does weaken up now, uh, because it's, it's Tony fighting drones, and Tony being chased by drones, and lots of explosions, and, and War Machine comes out, and then they have that fight together. That would have been so much more powerful and effective if they'd fought a whole bunch of drones, and then, you know, fought themselves down to... When, when, when he does that sort of and burns himself out with the lasers and he's down to almost nothing and then uh, Vanco turns up if there had been another slew of drones 
and it had been very low ammo, very low power, and it had actually looked like Tony and Rhodey might actually die. And if it had been like Butch and Sundance, and they could have got some dramatic kind of, you know, we probably shouldn't be in this situation. We've let ourselves in for, it, for this. We're not superheroes. We, you know, you should be you doing your job, I should be doing mine. What the, what the hell are we doing here? That would have been really effective. Yeah, but instead they're invincible. Yeah, yeah. they're total badasses. And Tony was just waiting for the point where it looked coolest to do that sort of bit where he killed everyone. Yeah, it's sort of it is a flip on the last film. Yeah, the last film, which is a shame. They're they're overpowered. And then when Vanko turns up, the fight lasts for all of one minute, and and Vanko doesn't have any real emotional involvement with the whole thing. The fight is not about anything. The only thing that it's about at all, if anything, is that they both remember that they've clashed earlier, and that the thing that they learned was that if you combine two repulsor blasts, then they create a big old blast. And also that glass does nothing in this film when it rains down on you. Yeah. It happens at the party. It I'm tired of that in movies. That's, <laughs> that's concussed you. fucks you up. <laughs> yeah, speaking of someone who's actually had put their arm through a window and suffered from lacerations, trust me, it Same. does fuck you up. Yeah. And it could be like super space age glass, but Captain America falls through a wedding shop window in Captain America. I don't care how super you are, your neck would just be lacerated. And, and then also Pepper stares at a beeping red thing and goes, hmm, I wonder what that is. Dude, you work for a weapons designer! It's a bomb! Yeah, thinking about it, I really I take back any statements about this being better than the first one. <laughs> really? I'm- it, there are bits which are better than the first one, but the, the bits, thing but... really just sort of sag a little bit. And, I, don't <laughs> I don't know. Is it one of these where we can say it suffers from Bioware-itis? Good story, shame about the ending. Yes, it's got a bad final boss. But that's all, really. That's, that's the only real problem with it. The whole, I mean... But once Tony's... The peak comes when Tony designs his new element and then puts it in and goes, Oh, just like coconut! Mm-hmm. Oh, metal! Oh, yeah! That's the peak. And then after that, it's just Transformers shooting each other. And it's like, eh, okay. But it's not racism. About any... Yeah, about <laughs> racism. But it's not about anything in the way that the fight with Obadiah was about something. I mean, the other thing... How do you feel about Mickey Rooney as... Uh, Mickey Rourke! Mickey Rourke, sorry. <laughs> uh, how do we feel about him as Vanko? Yeah. I mean, he's good, especially at the beginning. Um, yeah, but later I on, he just becomes like kind of smug and he realises that every moment he's on screen he's getting paid more and more. And I don't know, he is very powerful in something like The Wrestler, and I would have loved to see him harness that bit at the beginning when his father dies and he screams, Yeah! Just that passion throughout the whole thing. But then he just lapses into smirky work mode. I'm keeping that. You know, it's weird because he's back in favour, obviously, because of The Wrestler, and he was passable in The Expendables, but that's the best I can say about that movie is it's passable. And then he crops it here. He was. I think he was. Repe- he was propelled back to stardom because of Sin City, wasn't he? And, yeah. Uh, yeah. And has done well enough since then. Just I don't know. He, he's good, but there are better actors in this. And, I, and we're being harsh on Don Cheadle as well. He he is good. It's, there's times when he's trying to be funny, and it just doesn't mm. seem like he's as easy with it. Y'all are like two sea lions fighting over a grape, and it's like. Eh. It's kind of funny. But I've seen Don Cheadle be incredibly funny in Boogie Nights. He is so funny as Buck in that. You have, you, I mean, you have, you've saved some money. Right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know? I'm, I'm, I'm just saying you don't have to, but if you, if you wanted to, like, open up a business that specializes in, like, super, super high-fi stereo equipment, you, man, 
you just make a killing, you know? Because it's like, there's just no end to the technology that's coming out now. Really? Oh, yeah, it's a fact. So, what's wrong with this radio? Um, that's, you know, I can't, I can't tell from here. You know, I'd probably have to get up under the vehicle and um, get my tools out, lube everything down, maybe even take off the whole front end of this sucker and see it. But it's, it's one of two things. You got a wattage problem or you got a, a quad problem, mm -hmm. and that's usually what it is. You got too many watts per channel going into the speakers, or you got too many um, quads per channel. But it's a problem, no doubt. Okay, that's faulty equipment. The loose knob, it's faulty. <laughs> but at least they get Sam Rockwell to dance. Yeah, I mean, he, he's good at disco dancing. He did that in Charlie's Angels. But it, it, it seems to be so this weird running thing with Sam Rockwell. Watch any movie with Sam Rockwell in. He will dance at some point. Yeah, he does like that. I suppose he'll do it for free, frankly. But, um, but yeah, I think ultimately the thing that jars is that you've kind of seen the relationship between uh, Tony and Rhodey um, laid down by the first movie mm. and then switching the actor, you have to start again with their relationship. And because Rhodey's kind of dialed back in this film, um, you don't really get that sense of real payoff as to, you know, the whole friendship going down and then coming back up again. The, the fight between Rhodey and uh, Stark that took place at the party mm. could have been aerial in nature as well they could have yeah. got started at the party and then flown out there and been like bashing each other around and really um they could have basically you know Rhodey could have knocked lots of the armor off of tony and then escaped with war machine um and they didn't and the the, the music and the tone actually make it more comical and more kind of like oh yeah we're gonna get ready to rumble and less of a you know when friends actually physically have a bust up like this <laughs> it's a serious painful. situation it's serious for both of them mm. but um, for some reason in the film it's just kind of a bit of a comedy moment I was gonna say yeah for a start friends do not say I need a fat beat to kick my friend's ass to and then play another one bites the dust mm. the DJ in that scene the film is dedicated to him because I gather he died shortly afterwards oh, or during so yes so that's that maybe that something to do with some of that as well I'm trying to remember who it was DJAM or something like that yes it is they've even got a little uh, documentary about him yes it's fairly obvious why they keep having him flip his shell um, each time there needs to be something emotional. It's why Peter gets his mask ripped off at the end of Spider-Man 3 each time. Um, the, there's this notion that with masked heroes, unless you can see their faces, you can't emote with them. I don't know, there is more of an immediacy with that, that, that in, in the in-cockpit the, in the in view, as it were. But there's also times when you're like, why are you even popping this open at this stage? You're going to get shot in the face. Yeah, like uh, when him and uh, Rodeo are having the talk at the end of the film. They yeah. both popped, the, popped it. And if you notice in the, the, the trailer for the new Spider-Man movie, which I'm looking mm. forward to, mm. once again, he loses the mask. Okay, yeah, actually, no, I was going to mention Black Widow. Um, one of the things I like best about her, um, again, she's not much of a character in this, they could easily, so easily, have given her black stiletto heels and a black vinyl-looking cheap-ass costume and made her just look like, uh, I don't know, Justice and all those other girls in James Son of Bob Strike Back, this caricature of a femme fatale in the leather catsuit. But they haven't. She's wearing a blue jumpsuit and flats. 
So when she does all the acrobatics and stuff, those are the most practical shoes for her to wear. She's not doing that. You know, she's not wearing sexy high-heeled shoes, which are totally bloody impractical for what she's doing. She's perfectly attired. And I don't know what style of fighting that is, but I want that style. It's, I mean, it's, it's like, uh, like Spider-Man fast. Like take, all over the place acrobatic. It takes advantage of her flexibility. Uh, mm. None of the moves she's performing are like physically strong. Like, no offense to women out there, but like most men are physically stronger than women. Yeah. So the fighting style feels more like okay. Instead of her like punching a guy out completely, she's going to slide under his legs and punch him punch several him times in the, in the nuts. <laughs> As in Nathan Drake. I've done that manoeuvre before, yeah. And, yeah, it's all of the sort of the, the, the leaping all over the place, it really, you know, it, mm. it sells her, if not her character, then at least her archetype. And it sells the fact that, you know, you don't mess with her. Yeah. Because it takes happy, that her entire fight scene mm. to deal with one guy. I really like that scene, too. Yeah. She is from legal, and she is potentially a very expensive sexual harassment lawsuit if you keep ogling her like that. Yes, and I've got three... Excellent potential candidates are lined up and ready to meet you. I don't have time to meet. I, I need someone now. I feel like it's her. No, it's not. You ever boxed before? I have, yes. Or like Thai bow, booty boot camp, brunch, something like that? <clears throat> How do I spell your name, Natalie? R-U-S-H-M-A-N. What are you going to Google her now? Hmm? I thought I was ogling her. Oh, wow. Very, very impressive individual. So She's fluent in you French, Italian, Russian, Latin. Who speaks Latin? No one speaks Latin. No it's a dead Latin. language. You, you can read Latin or you can yeah. write Latin, Did but you, you can't speak Latin. Because she modeled in Tokyo. It's, uh, just the banter between the two of them oh. is the most winning in the, in the uh, series. Almost as incredible, gorgeous, and desirable as her, Tony's table. I want that table. Can I just have one final geek out moment, because I'm really yes. through this in the movie, is the briefcase armor. I was so glad to see that. Oh, we haven't yeah. mentioned that. Yeah, it's it's like it's all over the posters, and it's only in it for about twenty seconds. But yeah, that is awesome. Kind of ridiculous, but yeah, awesome. Yeah, <laughs> it doesn't make all that much sense. But I mean, it happens in the comics, doesn't yeah. it? It's, yeah. Although I mean, in the comics, it's like he carries his boots in his briefcase and he yeah. puts them on and he puts the arm bits on. This is like ten times better. I don't know if any of you saw the Blu-ray version, but whenever a new mech suit comes on, it sort of freeze frames mm-hmm. and does a little CGI spin around the model and all the, you know, the flats and whatnot move about. Ooh. i go to nip downstairs and try that out. One for tech heads, yes. Yeah. She'll do the same. God, look at the flaps on that. Get in turbo frost me all that. Anyway. <laughs> Extending life's dimensions for all humanity!
The Iron Man films in essence are about the minds of two men, Howard and Tony Stark. They exist out of step with their own time and look permanently into the future, able to conceive technology and life systems beyond the rest of the human race. They are portrayed against a subtly depicted backdrop of early 1960s discovery, with the motifs of Howard Hughes and Walt Disney apparent throughout. Shiny silver aircraft, wondrous and unconventional architecture, and technology that seems related to that of the time, but is designed to far exceed in scale and capability of what other creators can achieve. The consequence of their displaced minds is that they are unable to see the present. What is going on around them is foggy and ultimately unimportant when weighed against the work they throw themselves into. This means that Howard alienated his wife and child and died not having reconciled. It means Tony, whether he wants to or not, pushes everyone that cares about him away and cannot relate to the rest of the human race. Tony feels that like his father, he will shine brightly and then fade away in private, leaving the rest of the world to ponder him. So it is also about their legacy. Howard was unable to fully realise his dreams, limited by the technology of his day, and passes them down to Tony, who for most of his life has rocketed through the world without a care. Now his greatest creation is killing him, Tony becomes very aware of what he is leaving behind. His newfound social conscience on becoming Iron Man means that he has a brief period to bring peace to the world through overwhelming military superiority. His making Pepper Potts, CEO of Stark Industries, is handing the keys to someone he respects who has always acted selflessly and with sharp intelligence. He also surreptitiously grants the Iron Man system to the US military through his good friend Rhodey, trusting that Jim's strong sensibilities and self-discipline will ensure Stark's tech is safeguarded and not exploited or abused. Tony doesn't want to die, there is still too much to do and being able to think through his situation, work with his long-dead father and discover something beyond the reach of the rest of us validates all of the positive aspects of Tony's being. He leaves this film no more humble, but with his resolve to be a force for good in the world redoubled. Tony here is one of the Marvel characters that most of us wish genuinely existed, simply because we believe he can change the world. Right, so that is all from us this week. We will be back next week with The Mighty Thor. You've been listening to Digital Gonzo. We're off down the highway to hell. We will see you next week. I've been Alex Shaw. Good night. And Avengers Assemble.
ಸಾಲು